Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some things regarding Bible prophecy. It seems like anytime there's, there's turmoil in the world, uh, there becomes this interest in Bible prophecy. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who are uh, very willing to take advantage of that to make a name for themselves or to, or to teach all kinds of things, much of which does not come from the Word of God at all. And it's good to remind ourselves of the things that the Bible actually teaches about prophecy. And, you know, prophecy is, a, is an important thing. It's, it's something uh, certainly that can be used to, to verify Scripture. In fact, uh, some of the instructions given to Israel uh, regarding testing of prophets were to use that prophecy to test what, whatever else the prophet said so that if the, if the prophet claimed that something was going to come to pass and it didn't, that prophet was a false prophet and was to be put to death, actually, under the, under the law. Um, most of the uh, Bible prophecy teachers today would not pass that test, okay? But, uh, and, and realize that through, you know, through the, the history of the church, you know, there's always been this desire, uh, certainly on the part of Christians, to, to be in that generation that is going to see the, the, uh, either the, the catching away of the church or the uh, second coming of Christ. There's this desire to see that. And many times people have been willing even to, to distort things in Scripture to make it seem as if that was going to happen, right? You know, they, they tried to even put a certain date on it. And many such people have been very sincere. Uh, you think about the, the uh, Campbellites, for instance, and, and, you know, they and the Millerites and some of these other groups that even would sell what they had and would, uh, uh, you know, wait on that specific day that their leader had proclaimed when Christ was going to return. And it's, it's important to look at the things in Scripture. See, the Scripture is what provides grounding for you. And many times what, what people do in these different movements and things that set these dates is they, they kind of focus in on a few specific details and they miss the overall picture of what's going on. And often because they don't recognize as well the, the distinction between mystery and prophecy, that as well leads, leads people into all kinds of wrong teaching when it comes to prophecy. Um, we're going to be, we're going to spend most of our time today in the book of Daniel. You can turn there, Daniel chapter 2. Here in Daniel chapter 2, you have a, a prophecy that really lays out from, from the time of Daniel up until the, the return of Christ, uh, it lays out a, a series of, of events that were going to take place in the world, or maybe not necessarily events, but, uh, but certainly you see here a progression of empires um, in the world. And all of this comes about because of a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. Nebuchadnezzar here has this dream, and he calls in all the advisors, but he tells them, not only do you have to tell me the interpretation of the dream, but I'm not even going to tell you what I dreamed. He, he said, I, I can't remember what I dreamed, so you need to tell me what I dreamed and what the meaning of it is, and if you can't do that, I'm going to put you all to death. Daniel 
says God can give the interpretation of dreams. And Daniel relies on God to give, tell him what the dream is and what the interpretation is. And this dream is a very important dream. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that's the dream. Kind of a, kind of a strange dream there. He sees this image that's set up, right? And it's made of these different materials. It has a head of gold. It has a, a chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, and the legs are of iron, the feet he says, are part of iron and part of clay. And then there's this stone that's cut without hands. It strikes the image on the feet and the whole thing falls over. And Daniel's interpretation, he identifies Nebuchadnezzar with the head of gold. Now, if you notice in the, in the image, the progression goes from gold to silver to brass to iron and then finally to iron mixed with clay in the feet. And there is a, a, a degression that takes place. Uh, the, those metals are listed there in an order of decreasing value, gold being at the top and, and iron mixed with clay at the bottom. Uh, they, they, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of symbolism in that progression, but the idea was that you have this, this glory of Babylon that the empires that come after it were not going to attain to. In fact, when you get down, for instance, to the legs, they're made of iron. Iron is not very valuable because it's, because it's very common, but iron has strength. You know, gold has value, but gold doesn't have strength. A gold bar can be taken and, and uh, uh, you know, if you had a, a thin, you know, the same thickness of iron and the same thickness of gold, you could bend the gold where you couldn't bend the iron. Right? But uh, iron can be used, iron has strength in it. And so there was going to be a progression in these empires from, from you know, glory and, and value to just strength and power. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's empire there is associated with that head of gold. Verse 39, it says, After thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. And so each of these metals in the image represents a kingdom, all right? It says, uh, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And so there's a, there's a progression of kingdoms. Now, you can identify directly from this prophecy the kingdom of Babylon being the head of gold. Uh, from, from history and also from, you know, there's, there's in the book of Daniel, uh, there are three kingdoms that are mentioned by name as far as earthly, earthly kingdoms. You have Babylon we've talked about already in another place. Uh, Daniel's going to talk about Persia. And, you know, the Medes and the Persians were the, the empire then that defeated the Babylonian empire. 
The Medes and the Persians uh, came in. They, they uh, took the city of Babylon. The Medes and the Persians were two separate nations, but neither one of them on their own were strong enough to defeat Babylon, but they joined together and defeated Babylon. In fact, Daniel survived to the time of that Medo-Persian empire. And Daniel, who after, after these events here, becomes a, a very prominent person in Babylon, also was a prominent person in the Medo-Persian empire. And went from being a, a captive, you know, one of those captives carried away from Israel, to being in, in a very high position in both the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian Empire. It's interesting that in the image, the, the silver, you have the head of gold, the silver is the chest and the arms. And you have, there with the Medo-Persians, you have a, a empire that has those two arms, the Medes and the Persians, that succeeds the Babylonian Empire. Daniel also mentions then Grisha or Greece. And the Medo-Persians eventually were succeeded by the Greek Empire. And that would be, that would be uh, referred to there as that kingdom of brass. Now, Daniel spends a lot of time talking about, he, he's going to mention the fourth kingdom and then eventually the fifth kingdom. But he says in verse 40, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Now, the iron is a kingdom that's not mentioned by name in the book of Daniel, but it is the kingdom that is in power, for instance, at the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is the Roman Empire. The, the Roman Empire, you know, whatever, whatever was if you want to say glorious or beautiful in the Roman Empire, it was usually what they had, what they had kept over from previous empires. Uh, much of the architecture in the Roman Empire was really Greek architecture that they had, that they had brought over then into the, into the Roman Empire. Uh, but Rome was really known for its strength. You know, certainly Rome valued things like honor and glory and, and those kinds of things. But really, in reality, what, what characterized the Roman Empire was brute strength. Now, those first four kingdoms, Daniel has described down to verse 40, but in verse 41, he's going to describe a fifth kingdom. It says, Whereas thou sawest the feet of toes, part of potter's clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Now, the interesting thing is that when the Roman Empire split up, there was not another empire that replaced it. Right? I mean, you didn't have the kind of progression that you had previously where the Babylonians were defeated by the Medes and Persians and they were defeated by the Greeks and they were defeated by the Romans or, or you know, came into that, that uh, Roman Empire. Um, the Roman Empire just sort of fell apart. It, it fell apart largely from within. And you don't see a, a, another kingdom coming to, to take its place. This, tenth, or this fifth kingdom that's described here uh, it is not something you can identify in history. And that's because this kingdom is yet future to where we are today. 
Now, why, why is that? I mean, when you read the prophecy here, it sounds like each one comes right after the other. It sounds like this one should come right after the, uh, the Roman Empire. And in fact, many people have tried to place this somewhere in history. But I want you to notice, uh, continue on in verse 44, it says, In the days of these kings, talking about that last kingdom, Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure." The stone cut without hands is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, often referred to as the rock, the stone. And that it's cut without hands. Anytime in the Bible that something is done without hands, it's talking about something that God does. And so this this stone that's going to come and topple these kingdoms is not uh, just just another earthly kingdom that's going to come about. It's a work of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, it's in the days of, of that final kingdom, the iron mixed with clay, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return and set up his kingdom. In fact, in the, in the uh, original dream, um, if you go back to the end of verse 35, at the, at the end of verse 35 it says, And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Mountains in the Bible are, are figures of kingdoms. And here this stone comes, strikes the image, the image topples over, and that stone grows into a mountain that fills the whole, whole earth. It's talking about the kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? And that comes... You see where the stone strikes the image, it strikes it upon those feet of iron and clay and the whole image topples. Uh, The fact that that these kingdoms are presented as a part of one image, there's a distinction between them in that they're made of these different materials, these different metals. They differ from one another in glory, they differ from one another in many respects, but you see they're all part of one world system. One world system that's going to be done away with by Christ at his second coming when he establishes his kingdom on the earth. So that the the Roman Empire is not completely separate and distinct from the Greek Empire that came before it. The Greek Empire is not completely separate and distinct from the Medo-Persian Empire that came before it, and they're not distinct from the the Babylonians that came before them. They're a part of of a a system that God was using to, to judge that nation of Israel, but that's going to be done away with at the second coming of Christ. But where, where does that leave us? Here we are, the, the fourth kingdom in the progression here is no more. Uh, certainly there are many vestiges of it. In fact, you could, you could say in many respects that the United States has become the inheritor of many of those things of the Roman Empire. Uh, certainly our system of law comes largely from the Roman system. There are many, many things that... Uh, that we, you know, traditions and, and things that we have from the days of our months or the names of our months to the days of the week and those kinds of things that come from that Roman system. But it, you know, to, to say, even if you were going to make the, the United States fit in here somehow, and I don't think you can, but even if you were going to, what about before the United States? Um, you know, maybe some people might try to fit England in there or something, but it becomes very hard. You know, you, you can see with those first four kingdoms that clear progression and to try and, you know, try and fit other things after that into there, it just doesn't fit very well. 
And the reason for that is that we live in a time period that is not directly accounted for in a prophecy like this. We live in a time period that's referred to as a mystery, right? That, that uh, was kept secret, the scripture says, from, since before the world began. And so we live in a time where the, the Roman Empire has crumbled. And in fact, the, the fact that the Roman Empire crumbled in the way it did, I think in many ways demonstrates that God had changed how he was working. No longer was he judging Israel by a progression of Gentile kingdoms. Now, in the dispensation of grace, uh, through the mystery, God was working through the body of Christ. And he's working in a, in a very different way that didn't require there to be these, these Gentile empires. And you've never seen anything the likes of Rome uh, arise since that time, and you won't until you get to the, uh, the time of that fifth kingdom. Now, that fifth kingdom is the kingdom of the Antichrist. If you piece this together with other passages of Scripture, you, you find that to be the case. And you see that it is, in, in a greater way than what the other kingdoms progressed out of the kingdom before them, this fifth kingdom uh, has a direct connection to the kingdom that came before it. The legs were of iron, and the feet, which would be that fifth kingdom, are of iron mixed with clay. Now, where in all the kingdoms before this, you had a completely different metal, a different substance as you went from one kingdom to the next. When you go from the legs of iron, Rome, to the feet of iron mixed with clay, you see it retains part of the character of the kingdom before it. It doesn't change like Babylon to Medo-Persia from gold to silver, or from like Medo-Persia to Greece from silver to, to brass, or from Greece to Rome, brass to iron, but... Rather, it, it's, uh, it still has that iron of Rome. That's why sometimes people refer to the revived Roman Empire. Okay? And in many respects, the, the kingdom of the Antichrist will be a revived Roman Empire. Uh, but you see, even though it has that, that iron with it, you see it's mixed with clay. And it makes reference of, to the, the toes of the feet. Um, the, these toes that it refers to are kings. They are ten kings that are going to rule with the Antichrist. And uh, it says that, that those toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay. It says, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now, verse 43 is a kind, of a, kind of a cryptic reference. It, it, you know, it, it's hard to understand what it's talking about. It says, whereas thou sawest... Iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Now, part of what makes it difficult is it says there's iron mixed with clay, but then at the end of the verse it says iron is not mixed with clay. Um, I don't I don't know what would happen if you tried to mix iron with clay. I've never tried it myself. But uh, I, I would guess it wouldn't work out very well. Um, you, you would wind up with something very weak. It, you know, certainly it would have maybe some strength from the iron, but uh, it doesn't seem like it would be something that would hold together very well. You know, you can mix metals together and make an alloy of those metals, and sometimes the alloy will be even stronger than what the metals themselves were. Uh, in fact... Um, you take something like brass and mix it with tin, 
and neither one of those are particularly strong metals, but you mix tin with that brass and you get something very strong. You get, you get bronze, right? Um, but, but when you mix clay with a metal, um, they're, not, they're not of such a nature that they can adhere to one another. Um, it's interesting in verse 43 that it says, they, without telling you who the they are, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Now, it likens this mixing of the iron and the clay to something, they, mingling themselves with the seed of men. Uh, the seed of men, um, you could see, is being represented by the clay. Uh, clay is often, often uh, likened to, to man, and, and uh, you could see that. But who's, but who's the they? Uh, I'll tell you what I think. Um, if you remember, all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, it described these, you could think of them really as, as like supermen that were on the earth, giants on the earth, that were the result of a, of a of supernatural activity where um, beings that it refers to as the sons of God, which are angels, now they're rebellious angels, they came and took human wives and had children with them that were giants. And that was a, a, something that led directly to the destruction that the Lord brought on the earth in the flood. Um, you have these giants on the earth in, in the days of Noah. Uh, it seems to have been such a, a widespread thing that when it talks about Noah and God saving Noah, it mentions that Noah was perfect in his generations, meaning that in Noah's line there was none of this mixing that had taken place. And uh, these, it, it said it took place in those days and after that. Uh, certainly that activity seems to have been greatly curtailed after the flood, but you still see those giants after the flood. You still see Goliath and Rapha and Og, king of Bashan, and these other giants that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And very often what you find is that iron is associated with those giants. Uh, you can read various places where they had iron chariots and, and you know, other iron things that were associated with them. And I would say that it is very likely that these ten kings that are going to rule with the Antichrist, as well as possibly the Antichrist himself, um, have that kind, of a, that kind of a lineage. And these may literally be, um, again, if you want to think of them as, as giants or, or supermen or whatever, um, men that have this supernatural uh, strength and, and various things like those giants of old did. I think that's a very likely thing based on, on this passage and others. Uh, this idea of these ten kings comes up a, a lot of times in prophecy. Um, you find it in other prophecies here in Daniel where ten horns are mentioned, and those ten horns are ten kings. In the book of Revelation, you have that repeated where John sees a beast with seven heads and ten horns, which again are those ten kings. Okay, And so there are ten kings that are going to rule with the Antichrist as a part of that kingdom. Now, if you wonder who the ten kings are, much of, much of what's taught in Bible prophecy, they, they're looking to the wrong place for those ten kings. Um, there was a time, because of the connection with Rome and the Roman Empire where uh, almost, it seems like almost anybody who taught on Bible prophecy, when they talked about these ten kings, they thought they were ten kings that were going to come out of Europe. And so when the, uh, when the European Union, which was originally the what, European Economic Community or, or whatever, there was a time where that had ten nations. And the Bible prophecy teachers were, here it is, the, the Lord must be going to return any day because here are the ten kings that are going to rule with the Antichrist. 
the problem was then the EU expanded, and now I don't know how many nations are in it, but many more than 10. And, and the thing is, they were looking in the wrong place. In fact, the Bible, the Bible identifies for you who the kings are and what region of the world they're going to come from that are going to be confederated with the Antichrist. Uh, turn to Psalm 83. Turn to Psalm 83, and now uh, we can just start in, start in verse 1. Psalm 83, verse 1 says, Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Now, here it's talking about these nations that have decided they're going to cut off Israel. Now, if you go to the book of Revelation, you see how the devil turns his wrath against the, the, the remnant of the seed, and he seeks to destroy them. Okay. Now, these nations that it's going to mention here, it's going to mention several nations by name, ten nations by name. And these ten nations, you can't identify this as sometime in history where these ten nations have all confederated together to try and destroy Israel. Uh, this is something yet future. But I want you to notice what the nations are that it mentions. Verse 6, it says, The tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites, of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also is joined with them. They have holpen the children of Lot, Selah. Now, if you count them there, you have the tabernacles of Edom. Now, if you remember Edom, Edom are the descendants of Esau. There, Esau was the, the brother of Jacob. The Israelites are descendants of Jacob. The Edomites are descendants of Esau. Uh, the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites. Ishmael was the first son of, of Abraham, right? Again, the, the Israelites come from Isaac, but uh, the Ishmaelites come from Ishmael. Of Moab and the Hagarenes, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also is joined with them when it says they have hope in the children of Lot. That's not, the children of Lot are not an 11th group. Um, Ammon, for instance, is one of the children of Lot in verse 7. And all of those nations are Middle Eastern nations. You have these, all of these uh, Middle Eastern nations that it describes here as being the ten nations that are going to be confederate with the Antichrist. In fact, the Antichrist himself, you know that he's described in many prophecies as being an Assyrian. Now, he's also a Jew, but he comes out of that area of Assyria. He doesn't come out of Europe. He comes out of the Middle East. And so... It's, it's no, it, I guess it's no wonder that when you see the kind of, the kind of uh, turmoil that we see presently in the Middle East, and you see many of these nations that would be listed here right now, are their, their governments are very insecure. It's no wonder that, that when Christians see that, they start to wonder, you know, how does this fit into Bible prophecy? But what you have to remember, and we'll look at this in more detail uh, probably next week, is... We don't live in the time when these things are taking place. We live in the dispensation of God's grace. And that is a, a period of time that God has inserted in the midst of these prophecies. And they won't be fulfilled until the dispensation of grace is complete. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you can't certainly identify things in the world that are leading in that direction. You, you can. But there is none of these prophecies that we've looked at today and none of them that we're going to, to look at you know, as, as these prophecies are going to take place today or tomorrow or next week. Uh, there, there are things that are going to take place after the close of the dispensation of grace. And this dispensation of grace has been inserted and God's wrath that's going to come on the earth has been delayed because it was something that God planned before the world began. He just never told anybody about it. He didn't tell the prophets, he didn't tell Daniel that there was going to be a delay of uh, 2,000 years and counting between the, the, the legs of iron and the feet of iron mixed with clay. And so this is something you have to keep in mind when you look at these prophetic things. It'll, it'll save you from trying to set dates and those kinds of things. And it'll save you from, from a lot of the... There's a, you know, Bible prophecy is designed to give you assurance about the future. But the effect with a lot of people, because they don't understand how to, how to put things together and put them in their proper place, is rather than giving them assurance about the future, it gives them uh, much, much uh, insecurity about the future. They wonder if they're going to have to go through the Great Tribulation. But we're going to see throughout our study that that's not something you have to worry about, because we live in the dispensation of grace. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.